Um, Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for everyone here, Lord. I just pray that you would um, speak to us today, that as we reflect over the life of one of the great um, martyrs of the last century, that you would just speak to us through their story and that you, by your spirit, would empower and embolden us um, with how we live our lives, um, lives that shout who you are and are empowered by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we've been doing this series, um, Christian Lives Matter. The first week we did Black Lives Matter. The next week um, we talked over um, Stephen and how he was stoned, uh, not with weed, but with actual rocks. Um, they killed him um, and how that death was witnessed by Paul and it played such a big, big moment for him in in the fact that Paul, in Acts, um, Luke is the writer, but Paul is the one who's gone through the book of Acts and working with Luke to have it written. Paul just gives word for word the entire talk. So he was there for Stephen giving his case, he was there for Stephen stoning, and Paul can list word by word everything that happened because he remembers that day so vividly and how he says that his face shone. And he describes how his face shone and he describes how this man was at complete peace and gave his spirit to God as they felt they took it from him. And he describes how um, things were laid at his feet as he stood there because he was the one responsible. And um, he goes on then to have his encounter at, at Damascus and then Saul becomes Paul. But Stephen's testimony in front of him lives on. And what we took from that was the words you leave behind and the actions you leave behind. And uh, we go from conversations and we sometimes try to avoid things because we don't want to look stupid declaring our faith in the workplace with family and with friends because sometimes they might ridicule us. But actually Stephen was emboldened even though he knew it would cost him his life. And actually the words and the actions he left behind changed a man's life who then went on to change the face of the world. Um, and so we bear that in mind with how we live our lives. Now, today we're looking at another person who did a very, very similar thing. And um, that man is um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, and he was a great theologian, um, German in his heritage. And if we think of the time that he lived in and how he died, um, I'm gonna give us a few quotes which are from the time by different pastors and we'll see how their lives and what they said um, is in stark contrast to his. The time is fulfilled for the German people of Hitler. It is because of Hitler that Christ, God the helper and redeemer, has become effective among us. Hitler is the way of the spirit and the will of God for the German people to enter the Church of Christ. So spoke German pastor Hermann Gruner. Another pastor put it more um, succinctly, Christ has come to us through Adolf Hitler. So that was, that was happening in Germany. This was in the midst of the economic depression. Um, and through that, Hitler rose to power in 1933 and became chancellor. Two days after Hitler's election as Chancellor in January 1933, Bonhoeffer made a radio broadcast criticising Hitler and in particular the danger of an idolatrous cult of the Fuhrer. His radio broadcast was cut off mid-air. In April 1933, Bonhoeffer raised his own opposition to the persecution of the Jews and argued that the church had a responsibility to act against this kind of policy. Bonhoeffer sought to organise the Protestant church to firmly reject Nazi ideology from infiltrating the church. This led to a breakaway church, the Confessing Church, which Bonhoeffer helped to form um, with Martin Niemöller. The Confessing Church sought to stand in opposition to the Nazi-supported German Christian movement. 
Bonhoeffer had his authorization to teach revoked in 1936 after being denounced as a pacifist and an enemy of the state. As the Nazi um, control of the country intensified in 1937, the Confessing Church Seminary was closed down by Himmler. Over the next two years, Bonhoeffer traveled throughout Eastern Germany conducting seminaries in private to sympathetic students. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, then writes one of his great, great volumes, which you can still buy today, um, The Cost of Discipleship in 1937. During this time, Bonhoeffer was teaching pastors in underground seminary, um, but after the seminary was discovered and closed, the confessing church became increasingly reluctant to speak out against Hitler, and moral opposition proved increasingly ineffective. So Bonhoeffer began to change his strategy, to the point he had been a pacifist, had tried to prove... Um, opposed the Nazis through religious action and moral persuasion. Now he signed up with the German Secret Service to serve as a double agent while travelling to the church conferences over Europe. He was supposed to be collecting information about the places he visited, but he's instead trying to help Jews escape Nazi oppression. Bonhoeffer also became part of a plot to overthrow and later to assassinate Hitler. His tactics were changing. He'd gone to America to become a guest lecturer. Actually, during Bonhoeffer's life, he twice leaves Germany. Um, and seeks to be away from the oppression, away from the violence. He goes to America and also to England. And both times while he's there, he goes, he has this moment of clarity where he goes, what am I doing here? And um, he, he, he swiftly goes back um, to his people. He says this quote, I have made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the Christian people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. I love that. What I love about it is because when he gives that quote, the way he speaks is though victory is so assured. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, it didn't look that hopeful at the time with that quote. Um, but Bonhoeffer, though privy to various plots on Hitler's life, was never at the centre of the plans. Eventually, his resistant efforts, mainly his role in rescuing Jews, was discovered. Um, when um, Mr. Hooft, the General Secretary of the World Council of Churches, asked him, what do you pray for these days? Bonhoeffer replied, if you want to know the truth, I pray for the defeat of my nation. On April in the afternoon in 19... On an April afternoon in 1943, two men arrived in black Mercedes, put Bonhoeffer in the car and drove him to Teagold Prison. Um, he'd been trying to help, he'd been caught trying to help Jews escape. And they had seen that while he was serving with the German Secret Service, the German Secret Service had been under investigation, uh, his particular division, and um, they'd seen what he had done. And there in the prison, he, prison, he wrote um, some of his greatest works and he wrote his book, Ethics. Um, but there was this wonderful quote from a man called um, Payne Best, a fellow inmate and officer of the British Army whilst in prison, wrote this observation of Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was different, just quite calm and normal, seemingly perfectly at his ease. His soul really shone in the dark desperation of our prison. He was one of very few men I have ever met to whom God was real and ever close to him. Um, he spent long periods of time, two years in prison, writing to family, friends about his Christian ideology, his beliefs. Um, 
God let himself be pushed out of the world onto the cross, he wrote. He is weak and powerless in the world, and that is precisely the way, the only way, in which he is with us and helps us. The Bible makes it quite clear that Christ helps us, not by virtue of his omnipotence, but by virtue of his weakness and suffering. The Bible directs man to God's powerlessness and suffering. Only the suffering God can help. In another passage he said, to be a Christian does not mean to be religious in a particular way, to make something of oneself, sinner, um, a sinner, a penitent, um, or a saint, on the basis of some method or other, but to be a man, not a type of man, but the man that Christ creates in us. It is not the religious act that makes the Christian, but participation in the sufferings of God in the secular life. But eventually Bonhoeffer was transferred from Tegel um, to an extermination camp at um, Flossenburg. On April 9th, 1945, one month before Germany surrendered, he was hanged with six other resistors. Um, a decade later, a camp doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's hanging described the scene. The prisoners were taken from their cells. The verdicts of court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer, climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensured in a few seconds, in almost 50 years, that I have worked as a doctor. I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. What I love about Dietrich Bonhoeffer is that his theology and his worldview were married. So his understanding of who Christ was, um, he had a profound understanding. He, he wrote, I think it was the, the cost of discipleship, I think was one of his, um, the main um, books that he, he wrote. And the time he was writing that, I think it was published in 1937, Hitler had come to power in 1933. And so everyone is backing Hitler on the cost to the economy. And everyone is choosing their lane. And the church is choosing their lane. And the church is joining the political agenda, um, as disgusting as we know it is in hindsight. Um, it's always easy to see everything in hindsight. But what I love that in real time, in the here and in the now, his theology, he doesn't work out, how can I connect my theology with Hitler? How can I connect my theology with helping me to fit in with this present situation that is oh so trying and dangerous? But he is thinking, how can I differentiate? How can I stand against the tide? How can I, through my theology and through compassion, how can I, um, by the power of Christ and his cross and his gospel, cause a difference? And so they, he ends up tearing away from the secular church, starting their own church. But 
actually the, the, the work that he writes, he writes it when he's banned from speaking anymore. So he's banned from really speaking and preaching actively, and then he writes this work, The Cost of Discipleship, realizing that if he is to maintain this, this view, if he's to maintain this road, knowing what it could cost him. And then two times, he leaves the country and he's in America and he's doing great and he's flourishing and then he's in Britain and he's doing great and he's flourishing. But in the midst of that, each time he becomes uncomfortable in the goodness of his life. And he, he, he holds it in contention and he struggles because he looks at his people and he realizes he feels that he would have no place. Many would not have a problem with doing that. You know, you flee the madness. And yeah, you go back and you settle later. But for him, he felt he could identify in no way with this by avoiding the sufferings. And he found himself pulled to the gospel and pulled to Jesus every time that Christ would take up his cross. And he looked at the cost of discipleship, knowing what it would mean for him. I think what I love about Bonhoeffer is I think the question he asks of each of us, um, we may be unaware to ourselves living a time similar to his, but I, I don't think we do at this, this moment. But I think it does beg the question of us to actually look at what it is we are accepting in our world around us now. What is it we are moving along with, which could have dangerous repercussions down the line? What issues are we facing? Um, before doing the talk tonight, we talked about what issues we want to talk about next year. What things do we think are really big topics that actually we believe we need to wrestle with, with integrity as Christians, that we don't just get swept along with an ideology, but we take a moment and we step back and whether it's a big thing, we, we take the time to, to recognise it. I think actually one of the biggest dangers we face as a society right now, internationally, and this is going to probably sound stupid because no one's really talking about it, is I think the biggest thing we're facing and my wife is probably going to burst out laughing, is plastic. And I know that, that sounds absolutely ludicrous, but actually probably the biggest problem we face right now is plastic. We have, we have plastics that we are being produced on an astronomical scale that right here, right now, cannot be recycled and are being left out in the middle of the ocean. And we now have this platform containing all this plastic and rubbish, which is about the size of Texas. And that scientists know that the plastic will never break down. And when it does break down, the smallest level it will break down to is plankton. That means it enters the food chain. And you think of the long-term effects that that's going to have. And there are things that we're just going along with every day. And you and I, we're buying them. And there's things that happen on, on this level where, well, how seriously are we going to take it? What's the cost of discipleship? And so for us, we don't have something where I feel, with Bonhoeffer, he had something so distinct and so obtrusive and obvious in front of him in the Nazi movement. Sadly, other Christians didn't see it that way, but he saw such a clear dividing line. But actually, I believe, and this next year, in 2017, we're going to have a series where we're going to look at some environmental issues, as well as some other issues I'm not going to talk about today that we discussed beforehand, which were fantastic and we'll include as well. But we're going to tackle some environmental issues and look at and discuss and for each of us as individuals to come to a place of what we're comfortable with, what we're not comfortable with. And ultimately, we live in such a complex system nowadays with how things are produced, how things are made, and all sorts of difficult things like phones, chips, how that affects, us, how it affects people in Congo, how that affects us here and now, all sorts of different levels. But some of the things that we're doing, we have to ask questions of ourselves that we're ignorantly partaking in. 
do we want that for our children? Do we want that for our children's children? How far is this going to go? What are we going to think about? God's called us to look after the planet. God's called us, um, Garden of Eden, how we are to be stewards of the land and how we are to take care of his creation and how actually um, God created the world, but he calls us to be a part of the ongoing creation. That every day with our words, with our actions, we are creating a new world. Each one of us, our actions, our world, we create our own world, our own sphere of influence, and we partake in the creation that God is calling us to do. And the question I have is this, Bonhoeffer was fixed on discipleship. He did not care what the world would think of him later on in life. He didn't care what the consequence was further down the line. And the question we have to ask is because not each individual can bear the weight of the world's entire problems, but we have to be sensitive to God's spirit to hear what he's saying to us, that we start to realize the issues and the challenges around us and which ones we are going to own. As a church, we're going to look through some set issues next year and we're going to discuss them and find our place and how we can solve them no matter how small we are. But I want to call out to us. <laughs> Dad, uh, I want to tiger. Oh. I want to call out to us. <laughs> Is that going to be your issue? The endangered tigers of the world. Good one, Eden. We'll, we'll put your savings towards it. Uh, <laughs> um, but I want each of us to start to take time this week to hear God on our journeys to work, to and fro, that's a great time. We can fill the commute with a game, an addiction of self-creating fulfillment, or we can take a moment and use that as a special time with God, but also reading the paper. And as the, we read the paper sometimes, I'm there and I'm like, oh man, something hits me. I'm like, oh, we totally gotta do that as a series. Oh, we gotta totally look at that. I've gotta do something like that in my life. Because God is speaking and I'm seeing that's an issue and we need to tackle that. It may be you read an article like the one about Kim Kardashian and Paris and people are laying into her and cussing her and something stirs up in your spirit. This isn't right. And, and, and what God's calling you to do that right, that right that moment is to tweet, how can people wish such a thing on a mother, on a real human being? Bang. You know, that could be your injustice. It might be, sad to say, another black man gets killed in America. And it might be, well, I've got to think of something more than just tweeting. I've got to find a way that I can write something for, I don't know, Mashable or, or Huffington Post. Maybe I've got, a, I've got a unique perspective. I've got a story to tell. Maybe I've got a picture I need to put up. Maybe I've got something that I've got to say about this. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, for you it could be an endangered rhino. It doesn't matter what it is. What matters is that God is calling us to be active in the continuing creation of this world. And sometimes that's a healing process as well. I'm going to pray for us today and then that's going to be it for us. Father God, I thank you for the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I thank you for such a great man. A man who even had the opportunity twice and he did take it, but he acknowledged this was not him. This was not his portion. This was not who he was. That he wasn't going to live in comfort, but he was going to inconvenience himself for the sake of others. That he was going to go out of his way and risk everything. And in the end, he did pay the price with his very own life because he believed the cost of discipleship, the cost of being a disciple of Jesus was worth it. He believed that the powers that be had to be stood up to, they had to be challenged, that he couldn't live his life knowing that he hadn't stood up to it, that he hadn't fought, that he hadn't spoken and that he hadn't risked everything. I thank you for great men like that. I pray that we would be great men and women, Lord, who take on the baton of what you are calling us as individuals to do, that we would see what injustice we are to tackle, that life wouldn't solely be about getting to the next level, but actually we would take on the price of being a disciple, of being a child of the King, and wanting to see transformation within our communities. In Jesus' name, amen.